Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Uh, welcome to another episode of Tuesdays with Corey on our Atlanta Business Radio show. Um, I'm joined here with uh, Corey with the Long-Term Healthcare Planning Group. How are you doing, Corey? I'm doing great, Katie. Thank you. Yeah. So who'd you bring with you in studio today? Well, we've got a great show today on Tuesdays with Corey. As you know, the premise of the show is that we interview successful business owners and C-suite executives and talk about their contributions to their communities, industries, and companies. And today, we have the great distinct pleasure of having Rachel Shatta, who has many years of successful C-suite executive experience and is a realtor now. Rachel, welcome. Welcome, and thank you for being hosting us today. And we have Petrina King, who's built a, uh, an incredible business uh, helping women earn business on the golf course. Petrina, we look forward to hearing your story and welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. And Lisa Waters, who is a successful business owner of Amada Senior Care. Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Rachel, we wanted to uh, uh, start off by having a conversation with you and talking about uh, your career. You've had many, many years of success uh, helping an organization, um, PIAG, Printing and Imaging Association of Georgia, helping them uh, over the last 30, 40 years. Tell us about how you got involved with that. Um, I was working for Continental Forest Industry, and um, I was promoted from an accounting position to a sales position. And part of that process was being interviewed by the HR director of Continental Can, or Continental Forest Industry. His name was Bill Green. And uh, so two months after that uh, had occurred, he took a position as executive director of what was then PAG, which is Printing Association of Georgia. And then two months later, he called me and offered me a position. And uh, this was a, a small association. And I was working for a sizable company and sort of had a path going. I was entering outside sales, which was a first, you know, for a female. So, Did you just say, Rachel, that you were selling something? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that doesn't come as a complete shock to me. You realize that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it did to me. But, <laughs> but anyway, so he, the, he really uh, sold me on going to work for him because this was a small organization versus a large. And he, he just absolutely convinced me that it would be a total learning experience that I wouldn't get anywhere else. Mm. And it was like at a ground floor, this went from a huge organization to a staff of then of like four. Mm. And it was all about helping people. And so he, he absolutely sold me on that. And, and I have to say at the end of the day, it, it, all that was true. I, I got an incredible education. Uh, I got to do a lot of different things, mm. you know, for a long period of time. And then, of course, he left in 10 months from the, so the association and uh, Paul Massey uh, took his place. So that's how I got there. So you spent a period of time when you started, uh, you know, six or seven years working with membership and major events and finance with uh, the Printing Imaging Association of Georgia. Tell us a little bit about that and what that involved. Um, the association, I mean, literally when I got there, uh, unbeknownst to me, the first thing I realized is that we were operating in the red. And so it was like ground up. And and we grew, actually grew through the, ex the extended period of time from four employees to 22 from a budget 
of a million dollars to over 13 million. And um, it, it was, at the time, it was whatever it took, you know, to get things done. And we were organizing a board and uh, it, it was just exciting. I mean, you never, not one day was ever the same. Mm. Um, you felt uh, valued, you know, because you were helping people succeed in business. And that's the whole goal was to provide, provide program services and resources to help, you know, printers and imaging companies succeed. So the purpose of the association that you were, had so many years of involvement was to help other folks in the printing business, it sounds like. Is that accurate? Right. It was a trade association representing printing and imaging. So you had the responsibility of educating, providing programs and services and resources uh, and then also, you know, marketing the value of print and also, of course, government affairs issues. So it's anything that would help from a mom and pop shop all the way to the, to the big boys and girls. So from 1977 to 2003, you held the role of senior VP of membership, major events and finance. You must have learned an incredible amount and had a lot of different experiences during that time frame. That's true. And, you know, I have to say that was kind of the most fun years because um, the printing industry had really had outgrown uh, GDP, you know, since probably the mid-60s until it plateaued in about 2000. So, you know, things are great, you know, when it's going up. And, you know, you just, everything just is falling into place and you're making money. And, and um, at that point, I was always proud to say print was king. And then now I sort of have to fall back and say, well, maybe data is king, mm. you know. And, um, and if you think about it, it was such an honor to represent print. If you think in terms of what has been more significant to our world, there's not much. Because print really brought mm -hmm. knowledge and everything else to the masses. So you had all that experience and then they asked you to run it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and how was that? You know, well, it was, it was you know, I, I worked with Paul Massey for 25 years and, and um, you know, we were close. I mean, everybody in the whole organization was really fairly close. I mean, we evolved together. Um, there's just a lot, you know, uh, give and take. And so they asked him to leave. And so that was very hard for me. Mm. And, uh, my agreement was, I mean, it was really quite a pull because my agreement was that I would help them keep it all together until, you know, they, they recruited a new president and then I had planned to do something else. And then, um, during that time, um, you know, I just helped and I, they, there was a lot of need and there was a lot of, you can imagine in a transition like that, there sure. was a lot of fear within the mm, staff mm -hmm. and, the, and the board was directing, if, if you had any experience with a, um, an association board or a nonprofit board or, you know, there's a lot of diverse thinking about what should be going on. So it was all out, change, change. And I had to, sort of communicate that change to a staff, to a membership, 
you know, without losing members and things. So it was challenging. It, it was rewarding at the end, but it was really challenging. And then, you know, within uh, four months, they offered me the position and I just didn't feel I could leave. So how many people worked for you in that role? At that point, it was about 21. Mm. And then how many members were there uh, in your association? <clears throat> when I started at PIG, there was probably 114 member mm. companies. The largest um, number of member companies that we had was almost 600. Mm. And then uh, from, from about uh, 2000, you know, things kind of leveled off. And then, of course, uh, in 2008, I mean, everything kind of ran off the cliff, both from the, you know, the economics of things, but also uh, print was hit with technology, mm. you know. So how has, how has the printing, you've seen a lot of evolution with the printing business since you're, you know, getting started here in 1977. Walk, walk us through some of the major changes that have happened there. <laughs> you could start as far back as cold type, lead type, you know, going to, I mean, hot type going to cold type, I guess, all the way now through, you know, it used to be huge. And there are still huge web presses, you know, that are doing publications and, and magazines and all kind of things. But it shifted. the biggest shift that I felt that a lot of members held off the, the most was really taking digital seriously. Hmm. You know, I, I can remember some giants sitting at the board table saying, that ain't going to happen. Wow. And it happened. And it, when it really took off, it, it was very quick. And so you had the downturn and you had uh, companies that had vested millions of dollars in large presses. And if they were leveraged at that time, you know, it was a very sad, the, the path going up was a lot slower than the path coming down. Mm. And that, that, that hurt a lot because also you had all these com smaller companies and family owned companies. Mm. This was their world. And you, and they had a plan and that plan was to retire with selling that company. And you had companies in the mid range, you know, that were say 15 million in sales that dropped to five. Wow. Hmm. It's a tough recovery. Yeah. So when you, you mentioned when you sort of got started that uh, the association was in the red. Yeah. What other challenges did you face, uh, you know, with that? Well, it was just um, redefining, you know, what, you know, the goals were. And, um, and most trade associations, uh, to a degree, started originally about government affairs. You know, they came together to help get regulations that helped them. And, and for the printing industry, whatever affected small business, because it was the fifth largest small business <laughs> world uh, in the nation for years and years, affected them. So usually like kind came together, you know, <laughs> to um, pool their resources and funds and get being taken serious on the Hill. So you ran... <laughs> The organization as president and CEO from 2004 to 2007. And then you, uh, you, you know, evolved into another role, executive VP of member relations and director of government affairs, which you held from 2008 to 2013. Tell us about that role. Um, gosh, it was a 
learning experience for me, for sure, because there was a lot of dynamics. There's a big difference in being the doer, getting things done and, and keeping people connected than running the show. And I really like working with people and creating programs and services and events and things like that. I really wasn't that happy about politics and having to deal with the numbers and all that kind of stuff. My philosophy had always been up to then. You know, you do it so well, excuse me, you do it so well, you know, the numbers just work out. And now you're accountable, you know, for monthly for, you know, budgets and you've got board meetings and you've got different personalities. And remember, during this time was after kind of the the peak. So now in the industry, the industry changed from everything is great and, you know, everybody's making money, everybody's happy to fear mm. about, okay, how are we going to make So there was a lot of dynamics in the industry as well as a changing association. So, I mean, we just had to refocus and uh, get back. It was a lot more bottom line driven, mm. you know? And uh, so it, I think one of the most successful things during that time uh, that I helped influence and navigate was the merging of we we were I was responsible for five organizations four of them were nonprofits one were profit education foundation you know the PIG itself we had a trust a health guard trust and then we had a workers comp trust and then we created a a for profit corporation and in, insurance agency hmm. because with small business during part of these times which is still the same they really were having trouble getting insurance any insurance at any price Mm -hmm. so collectively you know we created you know first a trust and then when things were changing legislation was changing then we actually created a full-fledged insurance agency and so uh and that was already in the works when i took it but because of the change in dynamics you know i talked the board and I worked through the process of merging our health guard trust with PIBT, which was in California and they were huge. So that I believe in my heart of hearts that really was insurance for the PIAG for their future, you know, financial. Well, you uh, clearly added a tremendous amount of value with your business acumen and, you know, you're working with your staff of 20, you're working with your members, which, you know, numbered between 114 and 600, you're, you're sort of shepherding everybody through the changes, you know, through the way we sort of used to do it to the digital age. And, you know, certainly it must've been a lot of experiences in there and just trying to keep, you know, everybody, uh, calm and open, you know, to being, doing things in a new way. I mean, that must have been challenging in and of itself, right? It was challenging to keep me calm. (laughs) (laughs) You you said that, Rachel. I didn't. (laughs) Because, you know, uh, I think about this. I had never experienced a transition like this. And I I thought, you know, I I thought that we were going to be this great, immediately this great team and everybody now was going to get to do the things they want to do. But there was, there is a huge dynamic in transitioning mm-hmm. and downsizing mm-hmm. or right-sizing, however people like to use mm-hmm. the word. So you've got a lot, and, and then being promoted from within, mm-hmm. you know, and I was, I just didn't understand originally what that was about. 
you know, I had to learn and not, you know, on the well, job. Well, I think after 35 years, people would beg to differ with whether or not you understood it. Because you um, clearly picked it up if you had, you know, two high-powered positions there and you ran the organization. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so you had this incredible ride there uh, with the PIAG Association. And, you know, uh, now you're helping people find homes. Right. And how, how was that transition? Um, you know what? My litmus test for uh, PIG was what is it, whatever is in the best interest of the member. Mm-hmm. And that, then, that's not a shock to me either. And then I just transitioned that into, okay, what is the best interest of my client in every communication, in every decision? And on top of that, for goodness sake, at PIG, my joy was helping people and being a part of that and getting to, you know, watch it and sometimes even participate. So now, it, you know, there's not a greater, uh, usually for most people, investment of uh, funds and happiness than a home. Yeah. So I get excited about that. Well, and there's, it, it can be a difficult path to travel if you're a first-time home buyer or you just don't know all the ropes to skip and the ropes to know. So it's helpful to have somebody there to sort of help you guide guide you through that, uh, that issue. Um, if you could give yourself the, I'm not going to say younger, the less experienced version of Rachel, some advice 15, 20, 30 years ago, what would you tell her? I think it's about, uh, I think I, I would say, be sure that you uh, look in the mirror every day and you like what you see mm-hmm. and that you find something to do that you really care about and that you have passion about and then um, do it very well. Uh, and to do it very well, you just really got to stay on top of learning and education and um, somehow know that you have to dispel fear and come up with courage. And uh, every day makes somebody smile. Uh, uh, and I would say, you know, make sure that you uh, have something to look forward to, that you have, you're doing something that you like, uh, that you're helping others uh, achieve their goals. You know, figure out something every day to do to help somebody else be their best self. And at the same time, have faith in God, whatever you want to, road you want to go on that. You know, uh, have an attitude of gratitude for sure, because, you know, most of us are very blessed. Um, so, I don't know. Well, there's, there's a lot of advice in there. And if, uh, if there was a young lady that wanted to follow your same career path, what would you tell her? It's not the same path today, for sure. Um, it, it is, I think, more uh, numbers-driven, bottom-line-driven. You know, there's more data now that you collect, and uh, you just have to really be on top of things. And so you've got to be, if you choose something like the association world or any smaller organization, you're wearing a jillion hats. Yeah. So you're not the specialist. And it seems to me a little bit that 
the expert and the specialists are the ones, you know, that are, are faring well today. Yeah. Highly educated, you know, very armed wrapping around technology for their, as their efficiency tool. Um, if you like something that is in the association world, they, most associations now um, do have some experts in different areas, you know, the marketing, the technology, the governor's fairs. So uh, you could have the reins of something like that and still sort of be, you know, the generalist. Um, I think, um, I don't know, I think you open your eyes and you jump in and you always keep on keeping on. Well, you've obviously done that very, very well. Rachel, if somebody wanted to be the benefactor uh, in our listenership of your experience with uh, trying to get the right home, how would they get a hold of you? Um, my n- phone number is 404-423-3050. Uh, you can reach me. My website is um what did I leave out? Oh, and my email address is R-A-Shatta. That's R-A-S-H-A-T-T-A-H at gmail.com. Rachel, you've been a great guest. Thank you for uh, telling us about your, all of your success and continued success. Thanks again for being on the show. Corey, can I thank you for the show? And can I thank you for your passion and what you do? Uh, it's kind of neat. You, you really have a heart for seeing others succeed particularly females, and then you protect them by uh, offering them long-term care, which is incredible. Thank you. Rachel, thanks so much. Next, we have Petrina King. Petrina, welcome. Thank you so much. So, Petrina, you built a business uh, around helping women learn how to play golf and to conduct business on the golf course. Is that a fair assessment? That's, That's correct, yes. How did you get into that? Okay, so I got into it by blowing an opportunity on the golf course myself. Um, <laughs> Hang on a second. How, I, there's a story here, right? There is a story. There is a story, yes. Um, I have been playing golf since the age of seven. and um, So that's what, five years? About seven years, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I played throughout high school. I had 36 golf scholarship offers. I, um, my dad taught me how to play. Right. And he actually started at five and then by seven, I was considered competitive, but I only played with him and his friends. It's like, you know, the old men and I'm the young girl. Be, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there's one of us in the room. Here. Sorry. <laughs> well, the time, you know, seven years ago. So um, what happened is once I, I didn't go to college on any of those scholarships because I didn't think it was fun. You know, it was I, I didn't when I played in high school, I did not have a lot of girls to play against. And, you know, they had to, like, find people to play against me. And then I was playing with the guys. And, you know, it just wasn't a good experience. My girlfriends are out having fun. I'm on the golf course practicing. This is lame to me, you know, back then. And so when I decided to say no, I mean, when I got the opportunity to say no, I said no. Um, I didn't have a choice but to play golf. My dad made me, but I didn't do it in college. And so I went to college the regular way. I have student loans. I pay those now. That's another story. Um, (laughs) And I beat myself up sometimes about that. But I started my first business. And it was a background investigations company. And my client was on the golf course. I knew, you know, I couldn't go to your average networking meeting. I had to go where decision makers were. And so I started back hanging out at the golf course. And I met a guy there. And he saw me a few times. You know, he would come to the driving range. And we'll play a little bit. 
He'll ask a few questions, give me pointers. For some reason, guys like to do that without being asked, but you know, sorry. <laughs> but he, um, I guess I got to realize at this point that I'm outnumbered here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I had a feeling he was someone I needed to get to know. Yeah. So I accepted it. You know, I know how to play the golf game. Mm-hmm. And so I finally landed the opportunity to go play nine holes with him. And we played nine holes and I beat him really bad because I was taught, taught to play competitive. And I was playing by all the rules, you know. Um, and by this time, I knew who he was and what was on the table. And so I needed him to know if I got to work with him, I would do everything correctly. You know, sure. I'm young, I'm black, I'm a female. That's not what you see normally on the golf course mm-hmm. for business. Mm-hmm. So I want to do everything correct. Well, he never spoke to me again because of that score. So I learned, and and I didn't understand why. Like, he didn't want to go to what we call the 19th hole, which is where you go and kind of talk after the round. He didn't want to do that. He had to get back to the office. And I'm like, okay, this is weird, you know, because we had great conversation prior to the round. And so I talked to my dad about it, and he was like, well, you just don't beat the person you want business from. You just don't let that happen. And that was the story behind where golf women mean business. Because women don't get those opportunities a lot. And so I'm like, all right, I, I tried to run from it. But my mentor, you know, Miss Nancy Lewis. Uh, you can't she, run from her. <laughs> not at all. And she Not just, for very long. Nope, nope. And she just kept saying it, kept saying it. She was like, other women need to know about this. You have to teach. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, you know, golf is golf. You know, that's just something I do. No one's interested. And so she had me sit on her panel one day um, at a conference that she had. Mm-hmm. And my notes and what I talked about on that in that conference and on that panel became my business plan for the business. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that is a, to me, I see that as being very valuable having, um, you know, uh, a woman that's sharp understanding uh, how to play golf and being on the golf course. A lot of uh, deals are closed on the golf course. So um, tell us about, tell us about, you know, running, your golf women mean business uh, organization? So the business itself is great. Um, A lot, I get a lot of people who are interested. I get a lot of people who just kind of stay in interest area because they don't know. And golf women mean business was created to take the, um, the whole intimidation factor out of learning how to play. And we do that by starting with like a outing that's not even really golf related. It's to get women in the same room who are just as clueless as the person that they brought. And then we make them feel comfortable and we move them over to training. And, you know, that part is great. Um, I will say the part that I currently have, I'll say issues with, or I just wish could get better, is diversifying, believe it or not. Mm. Um, What do you mean by that? So the golf course, we know the perception is white male. Mm -hmm. And then you have... You know, females go out there, but even within the female side of things, we are still separate. Mm. Um, you know, we will get, and it, it, it more comes down to race at mm. that point, you know, and mm. then you kind of go out with who you feel comfortable with or mm. who you hang out with, you grew up with. I don't take it either way. You know, yeah. it, it is what it is, but I think that is one thing that I wish we can get past. Like, it's one thing to get out there with other men, but then I think we should be able to come together as well mm-hmm. as women. Mm-hmm. And so that is probably my you know, issue or downfall. And then scaling um, will be another thing that I think um, I wish I could do soon. And the reason that's an issue for me is because I can't 
it's hard to duplicate me because I have a very competitive background in golf, but I also really like the more relaxed side of it. And so what I find with women, we're either too golf heavy or no golf at all. And so I kind of feel like for me, having that best of both worlds thing and not pushing anyone either way, you know, that's a little bit challenging to find. That's what you just said is very uh, novel. I think that gives you an advantage being able to go out and compete hard and then also being able to go out and relax. A lot of people that have done anything at a high level experience great difficulty going out and just sort of doing it casually. Exactly. you know, you've, you've learned something you could probably teach, you know, a lot of people about, uh, that. Yeah. Trying. (laughs) What, what challenges do you, uh, do you face in your business? Uh, Those are probably the, the, the most, the, the, the bigger ones, you know, just diversifying. Um, you know, we're probably, um, 89% African-American because you attract what you look like naturally. I get that. Um, and we're in Georgia, well, Atlanta, DC, and then St. Louis as well. Um, you know, we have a few uh, that are non-Black, but I would love to diversify, and that will be my challenge at this time. Um, and then the scaling piece, you know, finding someone who can come in and make the newbies not feel so intimidated by saying, you got to get your handicap done right now, and you got to do all of this, when really they just want to get out there and be able to swing the club. Like, they don't really care. And if it's too hot, they're not going to be there either. You know, we have to be able to understand that. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's important. A lot of uh, ladies that are thinking about this, uh, there's a lot of things, right? I mean, it's a lot harder to go play golf than than maybe what meets the eye. And just getting lessons and understanding the equipment um, uh, you know, just uh, uh, just understanding the equipment is a big deal. It can be. And which is why we start that particular part of training online. Like we don't even ask our ladies to come to the golf course to uh, try that. It's more of, you know, getting them in the terms and the etiquette and the rules, mm. understanding it before you see it. Because a lot of people will go take lessons and then it's like, what now? Yeah. And we, I definitely don't want that because there are, I get a lot of women that say, yeah, I got golf clubs in the closet or my granddad or my dad gave me clubs and I don't know what to do with them, Mm -hmm. you know? And that comes from everyone's just saying, go take a lesson, but then what do you do with that lesson? You know, there are things that come with that. So it seems like uh, your organization gives ladies sort of a blueprint. You know, you get them started online, you kind of give them a taste, but there's a very, very uh, uh, lengthy list of steps before you actually get to the golf course. So, uh, uh, you're doing a great service there, as I see it. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, we have uh, one of our masterminds is called the Business Golf Blueprint. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You've written a book, mm-hmm. uh, Nine Holes, Nine Goals. Tell us about that. So the the idea behind or the inspiration for Nine Holes, Nine Goals came from our signature training, which is a three-day golf intensive. So it's a retreat for women where we take women away for three days and teach them how to play. In three days. You know, a lot of times you take lessons over months and weeks and all of that, but we do it all in three days. And so we're teaching them how to play. We're going over how the business is done. But then when they leave and then they get with people on the golf course, they don't really know what to do. And so nine holes, nine goals kind of gives you a step by step or hole by hole, I should say, (laughs) um, um, blueprint of what to do. You know, hole number one, you know, how do you start the conversation or how do you get to know your partner, 
you know, do you even want to do business with this person? You may not even know that. So this book will tell you how to get them, get to know the person. Mm. And then um, a lot of people think business is done on the golf course. So as soon as they get people on the course, they're like, okay, you know, this is what I do. This is what I got. You know, can we do this? And that is so not the case. And, you know, and I tell That is a huge mistake that people That make. is so big. And that's the reason for the book. Well, the method, the, but the reason that you would go out and play golf in the first place is to get to know the person. Relationship For building. them to get to know you. Right. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. It's relationships. Business, business comes from relationships. People, how do you yeah. get spon- sponsorships? I mean, there, of course, we all need a template, you know, you would know that for sure, <laughs> but you know, it's relationships. So, and, and it's building relationships on the golf course because you have that, their undivided attention for that amount mm-hmm. of time versus, mm-hmm. you know, in any other networking event or space where you're got to talk to so many people in three or five minutes. So how do you know you personally, mm-hmm. you know, when playing golf, how, what, what determining markers are there out there for you to figure out, Hey, I want to do business with person with this person, or I don't, what, what decides that for Katrina King? For Katrina King, um, there's this thing called intuition that I like to say, <laughs> but that's the women's thing. But really, it's um, how they conduct themselves on the course. The, the golf, a round of golf will tell people a lot about their personality. So if you're on the course and, and you just have a bad hole, if you're breaking your club, you're cursing, you're throwing your ball across the street, you're speeding off, you're doing all this. That's that's something that Katrina King doesn't really deal with. And I will normally cut the round short. You know, I'll do like the guy that dumped me and I'll just say, hey, I got a meeting that just came up and, you know, I got to run. So, yeah. But but for someone that I want to do business with, I, I kind of feel that we are getting to know each other. We're a lot of the right questions are being asked. A lot of the conversation becomes organic. It just kind of keeps going. That's when I know there's someone that I want to at least continue to get to know and ultimately do business with. It, it seems it would be helpful to uh, uh, anybody can get along, you know, when, you know, there's a five mile an hour breeze and, you know, the seas are calm and they're smooth sailing that anybody can do that. I, to me, it would be of interest to see, okay, you know, if a guy makes a bad swing or has a bad hole, how does he, how does he or she respond? And, you know, I think it's important if you're going to do business with somebody to know that end uh, of that person. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's why I, I choose people want to go to coffee with me. And I'm like, I normally don't even do business with people who don't play golf. And it's it sounds weird, but like you can send what I call your representative, which is the other your face that you put up in meetings. And we're we're doing this and during lunch and coffee and all of that. But after 30 minutes to an hour together, and then there are things that you have to focus on and other elements that are not going perfectly, I can kind of see exactly yeah. who you are. So, yeah, that's a, uh, it's another, it's a different way to get to know somebody to determine if they're uh, an appropriate client or business prospect, I'm sure. Absolutely. You have a lot of other experience uh, with Katrina King and Associates, you know, human resources consulting, which I'm sure is a hot topic. Uh, yeah. How do you use, you know, what you've learned in the background, you know, checking and HR? How do you apply all that to your business that, that you have now? So I, I really, I can't say I do. Um, it, it's kind of separate. You know, any, any business, it's, it's people 
mm-hmm. know, so and you want to deal with certain people. And um, I guess just playing golf kind of helped me understand how to deal with different personalities and understand different needs and things that come. But um, it's kind of two different, just really two different things. Yeah, because your company, Petrina King and Associates, you know, you can do HR consulting, IT related things, mm-hmm. speak with confidence. Yes. Uh, you know, which uh, which of those three areas do you think you do more work in? So, okay, though Petrina King and Associates, it's it's myself, which is the HR person, mm-hmm. and then there are other joint ventures under that. Mm-hmm. So the uh, speak with confidence, and then the IT um, operations. Those are more joint ventures of members of Golf Women Mean Business who offer a service that I feel is important to people outside of branding, marketing, the, the normal that you get to see all the time. Um, you know, you got a whole bunch of, you got a branding person on every corner. You got, you know, someone that can do your marketing on every corner. But then how do you know how to get your message across? And when you speak, you know, how do you, you know, get your business and making sure everything is you know, in order? So they're, they're, uh, those other two are um, actually joint ventures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're busy. I'm busy. <laughs> You've won a lot of meaningful awards over the years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which are some of the most meaningful awards that you've won? So over the year, I can't say one is more meaningful than the other. And I'll explain that. Um I think in a world where there are so many people doing great things and so many people, it's just so many people that can be recognized for everything. And for, you know, the little bit that I put out to be just recognized, period, I treat them all the same. So, I mean, they range. I mean, like the one from the Presidential Service Award all the way down to building a house for Habitat for Humanity. You know, I treat them, they're all on the same level to me. All equally outstanding. <laughs> Thank you. You have ties to the LPGA. Mm-hmm. How did you, you know, how did you uh, uh, establish those ties, and and how do that, how does that organization help your business? So I have ties with the LPGA and the PGA of America, um, and the LPGA, that side of things, is more of instruction. Um, their instruction is. I think they have they have to go through more instruction than the PGA people, the PGA trainers. And then they're females. I mean, of course. So and a lot of females are more comfortable with learning from females. So I hire the best of the best is what I like to call it. Um, so um, Onita Castillo is one of my uh, trainers from the LPGA, and she's a global uh, class A instructor. So she is the person that teaches other teachers. And so we have to, we bring her in to break things all the way down for our ladies. And then for the PGA of, Amer- PGA of America, um, I am involved with their diversity side and because they also understand that golf needs to be diversified if yeah. we're going to save the game. You know, we want to grow the game, save the game. So um, I work with them a lot on ways to uh, bring diversity to golf. Do you have a favorite player on either tour? I do not. Katrina King. Hey. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but see, that is a great question because I don't necessarily follow the pros as much because my client, they wouldn't know. I, I introduce them to them, to mm-hmm. the pros and let them see. And, and I tell them to like find someone with their build and see what they do on the course to get their swing better or whatever. But to get into the competitive side and all of that, I don't. But 
there is a guy that will be my top person, but I won't say his name because I'm golf women mean business. <laughs> Fair enough. You also founded Women's Golf Day in Georgia. Yes. What, what prompted you to do that? And, and tell us about that. So Women's Golf Day. So there is a National Women's Golf Day. Um, and national, of course, when you think national, it's all over. It's big. It's huge. You don't get to touch anything. It's just kind of a blanket. You know, you know it's happening and who really cares? You know, so because I live in Georgia and um, the home base for the membership is here in Georgia, I felt like we needed to let the rest of the nation know that we have golfers here and we're serious and we boldly exist, you know, and when that day comes, which is also June 6th, um, we do things especially for women in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, that's outstanding. Uh, if you had to give yourself, the younger version of yourself, some advice five, 10 years ago, what would you tell her? I would say be yourself and, and know that the world will adjust. Uh, don't um, really try to go with the status quo. Um, which is something that I think I did early on. And as soon as I was able to become myself, it was just like, oh, this is easy. Why wasn't I doing that before? Um, so I, I think I would say, yeah, just be yourself. The world would adjust. And then if something doesn't feel right, don't do it. Don't feel bad about moving on. Just, you know, go, go yeah. where things feel right. If there was a young lady that wanted to follow your path and uh, take, similar, take a similar approach to their business life, what would you tell that person? I would tell her to set a goal, but not only a goal, have a clear end goal in mind and uh, to stay the course because a lot of times we set goals and, you know, there are a lot of opportunities, opinions, everything that will come along the way, which way throw them off track because it looks great. But if you keep your end goal in mind, um, everything else will flow. You know, just like you like it. So. Stay the course. That, the that course. is some outstanding advice. And Petrina, if if our listenership wanted to get in touch with you via phone or email, how would they do that? Uh, they can reach me. I will give my direct sale, my direct business sale, 678-861-4183. And my email address is PK, as in Petrina King, at golfwomenmeanbusiness.com. And uh, my personal website is patrinaking.com. You can reach me at any of those. Well, Patrina, uh, congratulations on all your success and, and all that you've done at such a young age. You've been a great guest, and, and we certainly wish you the best on a go-forward basis. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Lisa. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having us here. Well, Lisa Waters is the successful owner of Amada Senior Care here based in Marietta. Tell us about your company and what it does and, and how you help people. Uh, I'd love to. Um, Amada Senior Care is actually a Spanish word that means to be loved or loved. And our census is, makes up mainly of seniors and our veterans. So what we do is we, we provide care for those who cannot always help take care of themselves. You know, at one point they could do these for, on their own, but helping them with their everyday things, like maybe just laundry or taking their medicine on time, having a nutrition meal, nutritious meal, that sort of thing, or taking them to the doctor's appointments. We can all help with that. Um, well, you help them with their activities of daily living, right? Yes. And those are? Well, like bathing, um, dressing, simple things that we take for granted each day. Like I said, the meals alone, they forget their medications um, and just keeping them interactive with the community. 
you know, by providing a caregiver in the home can help nurture that and then let them stay at home where they thrive best. How did you decide to get into that business? I think I struggle with that sometimes. Um, It doesn't look like it. (laughs) Thank you. Well, it's actually my husband's idea. Um, He approached me with the idea. And at first I thought it was some sort of multi-marketing type deal. I said, please don't talk to me about another multi-marketing type business. You know, I don't want to get involved in any pyramids or anything like that. No, this is totally different. Please just let's sit down and talk with them and have a conference call. And I did. And they pretty much sold me on the type of concept. But giving back to the community was more of what I wanted to do. And it was in line with the passion. I always wanted to know that, knew I wanted to do something more. And I think being in the senior space was definitely the place where I wanted to be passionately. Well, you've had a lot of uh, great success uh, building things, planning things, leading things. And, you know, you're very, very organized, extremely personable. And, you know, this seems to me like it would be a natural uh, transition for you and Alan. I I feel that way just because, you know, I very much of a nurturer. So when I sit down with somebody, I'm going to listen to them and zone in on those needs. Um, Sometimes they may not even think it's a need at the time. Right. So it's up to me to make sure that I'm educating my families and my community what resources they have. And of course, I can help lead them in that direction. But my crossover from coming from corporate into a small business, you know, I knew I could take that skill set by leading CFO, CEOs, board of directors, um, all cases. I could take that and transition. Yes, I can run my own business and I can do it well and I can help support my community. So. How many people work in your organization, Lisa? Well, um, you know, we are a franchise, so um, we have over 90 locations, but um, me alone and my husband, um, Amada Senior Care of Marietta, we're the first here in Georgia. So we feel like we're the trailblazers in senior care here to represent Amada. So there's over 90 locations. When we started this four years ago, we were number 17 as far as the location. So they have really grown. We're up to 90 now. Um, So we're very excited about really spreading um, you know, the Amada senior care concept, the approach, but doing it the right way without oversaturating the market. Cause we still want to have that personable approach with each family that we take on because they become our family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think one of the things that uh, I've gotten loud and clear knowing you and Alan over the years is that you do treat people like family and it does make a difference in your business. Uh, and so if a family needs help, you know, you're able to send one of your caregivers to their home to help them uh, and so that, that to me is very important because, you know, families with this long-term care issue, they have the opportunity to be the plan themselves, or they can leverage the specialized skills that an organization like yours brings to the table. Right. Um, again, you know, it's really sitting down with the family, but bringing everybody who's going to have a say so in the family. We want to be a whole and not every family member agrees with a lot of the approaches. You mean families we- disagree on oh, things? Oh gosh. Yeah. You would see, oh my gosh, it's a lot of family dynamics out there. <laughs> so we re- really try to do is come up with a holistic approach where everybody can at least be happy with the decision as a family and determining what the best plan of care is going to be for that family. Or if it's going to be the mother and father that's making the decision on their own, at least have the support of yeah. their loved ones behind them. How many employees does your organization have? Um, well, we're still a small business. We're growing. So I have three internally. If you want to include Alan, my husband, he's, you know, boots on the ground, same as me, but have two awesome internal, you know, um, staff that really, I mean, they will literally stop what they're doing. So their passion is the same as ours. So when we take that into consideration and we're interviewing our caregivers, we make sure that they have the same passion as we do for the seniors and our veterans. So that's highly important. 
And then the caregivers, how do you, how do you find help? It's their story. We basically can feel that vibe over the phone. How are they representing themselves over the phone? You know, are they going to take my call? Are they going to return my call? You know, are they going to show up for their interview? So those are the type of people that we can, you know, weed out usually on the forefront. But when we sit down in front of them, we really just put the paper away. Let's just sit and talk and talk to me a little bit about yourself and what made you decide in this profession? Because caregiving business is not for everybody. You can say that again. It's difficult. You know, it's, it can tear up families and it can make a family. So let's put it that way. Um, and so when well, we there's talk, no question about that. Yeah. So when we sit down with that potential candidate, we make sure that this is what they want to do because I don't want to waste their time and I don't, you know, I don't want them to waste my time. They're going to be the face of Amada and I would expect them to have the same passion. So that's what we look for. Do you have specific things that you look for? I mean, compassion, you know, familiness, uh, togetherness, maybe a it's teamwork. Usually, it's usually their story. You know, it's their story. Like, you know, they, I can tell you 90% of my caregivers have that story where they've taken care of their own loved one. And that's where it stems from. Mm. And that's where you dig deep in the soul. And, you know, they have that gift mm. for caregiving. Because again, we go back to, it's not for everybody. Yeah, so. that, that is definitely a gift. What is it that you like best about running your organization? I think it's, you know, really helping the families because that's where my passion is. And you know what, growing up, I didn't have grandparents. So being around with my community gives me that opportunity to have what I didn't have in the past growing up. So, you know, it makes me tear up, but, um, and then help giving, you know, families jobs. A lot of them are single women, you know, um, with families to take care of. Yeah. So let's give them the opportunity to grow and they can start here. Well, you know, after knowing you and Alan for a number of years, I mean, you're very special people. I mean, there's no Thank question you. that you're able to build trust uh, and immediate relationships. And to me, that seems like it would be very advantageous for what you do. Yeah, trust is definitely um, big on the priority list just because I'm bringing a caregiver in. How are they know? Why they're trusting me to make yeah. the right decision for them, yeah. right? Because anything could happen. So we have to make sure that it is the right fit for that right family. So we kind of do the profiling. You know, I know this caregiver has passion for this, but my family over here has the similarity. So I'm going to put them together. So it's not just a caregiver who's available to work. It's a caregiver that has the right fit for this family. You know, what, what challenges do you face as a business owner? And then, you know, specifically with, you know, being in the home care space? I think it's really um, letting, educating the families on what their options are. A lot of them, you know, the generation that we're dealing with now, the baby boomers, they're very prideful. And so a lot of them are veterans and they don't want, they think they don't need the care. They don't want it. And so it's up to us to say, look, you don't want to end up here in a nursing home. Let's keep you here at home where you're going to best out, where you're the happiest. So let us come and take care of you for a little bit. Let us make your meals for the rest of the week. Or let's make sure you're taking your medicine on time. So that usually, after a while, they think about it. They think, yeah, it's best for me to stay at home. I don't want to end up in a nursing home in front of a window. So I can stay here at home and thrive. Well, and they're able to you know, most folks, don't they want to stay in the community that they've created? Absolutely. Absolutely. Most of their friends are all in the same. They don't want it. They don't want change. They don't want to accept it. But sometimes we have to show them a slight curve so they can maintain their, their lifestyle. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me that you're able to get families to understand that, uh, you're uh, a pretty good salesperson, uh, from what I've seen. Um, how, what challenges are out there with families and, and understanding what you do and understanding, you know, what the government does and more importantly, what they don't do on this issue. Most of the time they don't want to get be involved because they're too busy. 
So what we, does that mean? You mean they don't want to deal with the fact that somebody some, needs the help at home? Yes, they're like, just deal with it sometimes. But so it's up to us to educate how important it is to be part of that care plan, you know, because I've learned that if they did not at the time want to contribute, they will regret it. So you have to think about they're going to be seniors at one time. They have to look, they're raising a family. Is this the way you would want your children to treat you at some point? So it's really breaking it down deeper. Like, yeah, you know, I am a high profile except but I do have to make time for my family because without them, they would not be here essentially. That's the way I look at it. It's like paying it forward each day yeah. and might as well do it for your own family first. So, well, I think you're, you're and Alan's uh, approach to uh, doing things and becoming families, even more advantageous for a family that has family members that don't want to deal with this because then you're, you know, going I'll to be their help advocate. them and be their advocate. And, Absolutely. And help them, you know, get to the right decision. Well, and do the right thing. If we see that there is a need there, let's say I have um, a client that I can see that he's declining maybe in this physical um, being, then let's let's call his doctor and say, look, we found that he's declining or caregivers noticing it. We can get home health in there to provide additional therapy or get them on the right meds to get them stabilized. Or, you know, maybe they're getting a UTI. Nobody's recognizing that. So we are the eyes and ears of, you know, that either non-existent family or an extension of that family. And so it seems like you would help the person that you're, help the family by helping the person that needs the care, but also you know, perhaps running interference and following up with doctors regarding, you know, treatment regimens or meds uh, or pharmacists. Is that accurate? Yes. It takes it a lot further than just providing the care, the right caregiver. It's making sure that all of their needs are being met so that they're still thriving um, forever as long as how we can have them. So. So you really are an advocate. You really seems like you uh, take measures to become you know, weave yourself into the family so you can be a better resource to them. Absolutely. I will literally take time off and I'll go spend time with my own clients. Um, even though I'll say caregiver, I'll say, even though they're, I'm there, or sometimes I'll just go work a shift because I, I need to get to know how my clients are feeling and how they really feel about the caregiver. They may not open up. So I want to make sure that they are happy and that the, the choices that they're making are the right choices. See, you said something just a minute ago that to me is very, very telling. And that is that you're not only sort of managing this whole process, but you're also getting your hands dirty and you're out there doing the work. And so you're understanding, to me, that would be advantageous because you can, you're able to understand what you're, what you're, the people that work for you, what they're dealing with. And then also perhaps, you know, lend more perspective to what that family can get Absolutely. in terms of your services. Absolutely. Because we are not just um, an in-home care agency. We provide a lot of other services, like you said, and resources. So what are those other services, Lisa? Um, so for instance, let's say, um, you know, a family, you know, they're still vibrant, but they, you know, they got worn the, the neighborhood they lived in. So they want to be in a more vibrant community. So I can help them with a retirement community where there's assisted living and they can actually, tr- you know, transition in age or in care, meaning they can start off at independent, maybe move to assisted living. And then if memory care came up, there's some um, Alzheimer's or dementia, then we can easily just transition to one place. They don't have to keep moving around from place to place to find the right care. Um, we can help them with financial coordination, long-term care insurance. Corey, I know that you speak that well. That's your, that's your biz. But, um, you know, we help them with the claims services. So we'll take it from point A to point B. We'll do policy analysis. And then find out if there's any other fundings that are available through um, veterans aid and attendance benefits, or even just any um, vouchers, nonprofit vouchers that are available to them to help minimize out-of-pocket expenses. 
Yeah. So you're, you're clearly, um, an advocate for clients and, you know, certainly the veterans there, there's a lot of, um, information out there and sometimes it's not widely understood, you know, what exactly those folks have access to that have, you know, so unselfishly served our country. Um, so that's, that I see as another huge benefit that you would bring to someone, especially with, you know, a loved one that has that, uh, yeah. And a lot of times they don't realize they, they qualify for that benefit. So we try to make them aware of it so they can get that. And if they've earned it, they deserve it. So we'll, we'll fight every, every inch of the way to try to, to get that benefit for them. So is it fair to say that, uh, you're also able to help clients, not only with your position on the continuum of care, housing and services that people may need, but also to help them with, you know, adult daycare, assisted living, everything, everything you, you can think of that can come along with any type of care. We would have a help, have a resource for that. So. And you've vetted these resources and you would know, hey, who, who are the good providers and, and so forth? Right? Absolutely. Because we've been hands-on, you know, just like us as a new business owner, somebody's going to throw us a bone at some point. So it's up for us to do our ultimate best and shine. It's the only way that we're going to get opportunities. It's so competitive out there in the senior care space. We have to show what, what makes us different. Yeah. We have to prove it to them. So. Well, you and Alan are definitely different. And, you know, knowing you uh, as people and how empathetic you are and, and how passionate you are about making sure that the right thing is done by these folks, that comes through loud and clear. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah. What, what do you think is um, today on February 13th, what do you think is the biggest challenge, you know, in, in, in home care, generally speaking? Um, really, to be honest with you, it's our government, you know? Um, we really need for them to really dig, dig deeper and provide more benefits for our seniors because there's so many out there that are suffering. Our veterans are suffering. So we really need to be their voice of reason, voice of respect. You know, they are still people. They're still here. They're existing. So. If you could give the younger version of yourself advice, first of all, would you take it? Um, I actually have two out there. Hopefully they're listening. My daughter. So yes. <laughs> if there was a, you know, it, knowing what you know, you've had so much success running things and, you know, in corporate, you've had this corporate success and, and, and you have this business now that you're delivering tremendous value to folks that need help in their home. If you could look back, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years and, and counsel yourself, what would you tell yourself? What would, what would you do? Well, I'm always a big advocate of thinking big. You know, I'm a dreamer and then try to follow through with that. Think big, um, be open to change, you know, be open to differences, um, I think is, is it. And then just really push yourself to the limit. Don't give up. Be prideful, be confident, um, and then always give back to others. Pay it forward, pay it back somehow. You know, like, like Rachel said, if it's a smile, it's a smile. Nothing is too little to give. I think you're right about that. I yeah. appreciate that. If, if there was a young lady that wanted to follow your path, what advice would you have for her? I would just tell her, like I said, think big. Entrepreneur, the world is a big place. It's up for you to find your way, what that is going to be. And I agree with Rachel, you know, um, that do something you enjoy doing, that you're passionate about and stick with it. And then just incorporate as much as you can on top of that and just build from there. Or one building block that can make it so much bigger. Now you're right about that. Yeah. 
If the listenership wanted to get in touch with you and Amada Senior Care about your services, how would they get a hold of you via phone and or email? Okay. Our office main line is 770-545-6198. Our website is www.amadamarietta.com. And of course, my email is lisa.w at amadaseniorcare.com. Lisa, you've been an excellent guest and congratulations on all your success. Thank you for your contributions to uh, the senior market and with your expertise. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you. I thank all of you. I would like to thank everybody here. Katie, thank you for hosting another good show. Patrina King, thank you. Rachel, thank you. It's been another great show with Tuesdays with Corey. We'll see you next time.